If you were to take uh, a piece of metal, maybe a bar of iron, it probably cost you a few bucks, let's say maybe $5 to purchase a bar of iron, maybe a small piece, depending on the size, let's say about $5 to have a bar of iron. If you were to take that same bar of iron and shape it into, let's say, a horseshoe, right? You take that bar of iron that costs $5 and shape it into a horseshoe, you can sell that for around about $12. Now, you take that same bar of iron and you go ahead and turn that into a needle and use it as part of a needle, you can get any, you can, depending on how you produce that, and that bar of iron can become anywhere between three to $4,000 because of the content in which you're injecting now that bar of iron becomes more productive, doesn't it? Now take that same bar of iron, and if you were to take that same bar, even the same amount, and you were to turn that into, let's say, a Calibre for a Rolex. Same metal, but you were to turn it into the Calibre of a Rolex, you're talking anywhere in the upwards of $300,000 each. Now that's on the cheap end. So looking at uh, the calibre, and, and if we were to define what that calibre is, because if you're like me, you kind of have to look it up a little bit, and that calibre itself is actually the brain. It's the engine of a watch that acts as a powerhouse to make that watch function. Right? It's the internal mechanism that allows that, uh, the hands and, the, and such to uh, to chronologically work and all the intricacies of that watch come from this calibre. It's the brains of that Rolex. Now we went, if we could show all four for a moment again, we went from five to $300,000 very quickly, didn't we? Guess what? Same type of metal, same concept, but used differently. Your value today, I want to tell you right now, is not determined by what people make of you, but it's determined by the God-given purpose he's already instilled in you. Every single one of us are like that bar of iron. Every single one of us are like that iron where we come to a place where we are seemingly not significant, right? That $5, some of you are like, I've been that $5 bar of iron for a long time, Pastor. But you don't know it, but you're really a calibre for the Rolex of God is, that God has designed. You see, I need you to understand something. Everyone has value within the context of their lives. But that's only when you tap into your purpose. And our purpose for every single one of us in this room our purpose is to find our worship. The single greatest thing we could ever do. Look at me for a moment. The single greatest thing you can do is find your purpose. I said this a few weeks ago and I'll repeat it for those of you uh, that maybe didn't hear it. And maybe some of you need to hear it again. There are two great days in your life. The day you were born and the day you find out why. Two greatest days of your life. So some of you walked in today and maybe you think for a moment, you know, I got to find my purpose and everyone has value, but the son made you valuable by his death, 
burial, and resurrection. He single-handedly, maybe dual-handedly in this case, made you everything God wanted you to be. He's put in you that bar of iron that can calibrate anything, even to a Rolex watch type. You say, well, I'm not as talented as this person. So grateful for the ministry this morning, Kurt and Megan. So talented. My wife, so talented. All these musicians, so talented. But guess what? That's not the only ministry happening in this place. That's not the only ministry happening around the world. There's so much more. What is your part in the kingdom? What, what are you turning your bar of iron into? What are you shaping to show him the glory and the honor he's worthy of? Well, I believe you were built for more. You were created to worship. The scripture tells us you were created to worship. And in fact, all of creation is wired for eternity. What am I talking about? I'm talking about how the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the heart of a human person. Each person has a heart for eternity. In case you're wondering, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has entered into man's heart, human's heart, the desire for eternity. Every single one of us. Now, you may have walked in this, to this room and you say, well, not everybody worships, Pastor Tony. Can I make this abundantly clear? And I really, really need to make this clear. Everyone, believer or not, worships. Every single person, is that right? Everybody, whether you are a believer, how many know atheists worship? Right? They even created church for atheists. Right? Some of them took churches that closed and they bought it and they made services for atheists. They worship. Republicans, Democrats, independents, they worship. Blue collar workers, white collar worships, uh, blue collar, white collar, they all worship too. It does not matter where you come from, from the lowest of the economy to the highest of economy. No matter where you are, everyone worships. Skeptics worship. They worship their own mindset that they are right. But I'm skeptical about that. Tongue in cheek. This simply tells us this. Listen, if all creation is wired for eternity, how many know that we should really figure out what worship is? If everyone is supposed to worship and everyone was created to worship, we should rightly define what worship is, isn't it? Isn't it important that we would define what that is? So allow me a few moments here this morning because a lot of people look at worship as, well, that was great worship because that's the singing portion. But if you paid careful attention, offering is worship. Serving God at the door when you are greeted at the door by our wonderful staff of people that just welcome the freedom. You know what they were doing? Worshiping. You know the people that took your kids, that saved you from your kids? I mean, sorry, took you. <laughs> They're worshiping back there. 
the kids in nursery, which by the way is the best smelling room in the entire building. I promise you. I never, you never seen it smell the nursery like this amazing. And y'all think I'm kidding? I'm not. After services, I walk through the building and I say, it is amazing in there. We have amazing people taking care of the little ones. Amen. How many appreciate the ones taking care of our little ones back then? Good, good, incredible. Some of you are like, that is the worst. How are you going to say this? Nurse? It does. It smells good. <laughs> but if all of that is worship, then we should define and rightly define what worship is. Amen? If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. Possibly as something of your own composition or making. Because we don't quite have the same gods like they used to, right? How many times have you driven past the big old statue and you see people, you know, kneeling and bowing and throwing stuff at the feet of a giant? You probably don't see that every day in like Milton, Pennsylvania. Right? But I guarantee you right now, as sure as I'm standing here, that there is idolatry happening in every city across the globe. Whether it's money... Job, house, whatever it is, there's people worshiping right now. There's people that are not in church right now because all they want to do is get to a certain goal. Their goal is worship. But a whole different thing, right? I want to be so secure. And listen, I'm not the, I'll be the last person to tell you, listen, you, you can't provide for your family. I believe everyone needs to provide for their family. So this is not a knock on people that work on Sundays and things of that nature. This is, this is purely a knock on people that have their mindset that that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal should be to please our Savior and our God. Amen? amen. So if you say that, amen, then I believe you agree with me that when we fail to worship God, it affects every area of our life. Would you agree with that? When you fail to worship God and find your true purpose... We don't place him in that rightful place. You know what tends to happen? Everything happens differently. Everything changes. Humanity is at a fallen state. In this world in which we live in today, the problem is we started looking to the wrong things as what's going to save us. Friends, I'm here to tell you, and I'm not going to stir the pot too much, but I stir. It's what I do. No mask, no vaccine, no president. No person can do what Jesus Christ can do. Period. Is that right? Now, does that mean all those things are bad? No. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to tell you right now that we've been deceived and bamboozled. My friend, we've been hoodwinked. That's a word I just got this week. I just thought I'd use it in some point. So here it is. We've been hoodwinked. Some of you are like, Pastor Tony's from the hood. That's why he said hoodwink. <laughs> I be knowing him. Back to the message. We've all been told a story and we're told to believe it. Now, I'm not going to get political, but I'm going to tell you this. Not everything is as it seems. I'm going to be grateful that I have this thing here in my hand and I'm really far from you. Not everything is as it seems. But know this. Christ is more than you ever imagined. The world is putting a picture out. And God is saying, I don't function in 2D, 3D, or even 4D. 
God is sovereign ruler and reigner. And whether you acknowledge him now or not in worship, you will one day. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And our lack of desire to put, place God in his rightful place. Listen, you don't have to do it now, but my goodness, you will do it at some point. Recognize who he is. Amen? Our lack of desire to place God in his rightful place may not seem like a serious sin, but trust me, when we don't put God where he belongs, it is a serious proposition. That you've allowed something else to take his place. When there's a breakdown of where God belongs, problems begin to occur. Would you agree? So turn with me, for example, to Luke chapter 10. Turn that to me now. Uh, turn there with me now to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Before I give my title, because I need to explain this text. Luke chapter 10. I'll wait a moment for you to catch it. Maybe the house lights will come up just a hair so you can find it. For those of you that don't have a bright light shining on your screen like I do. Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. I can say amen to that. I like me a good dinner. She came to Jesus and asked, or rather, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, watch this now. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. I love this. Now you can find this in another gospel or so. But I love this translation here and I love the way it's put out. And it will not be taken away. From her. This morning, I titled this message, You're Right Where You Need to Be. You're right where you need to be. Tap your neighbor right now and tell them, You're right where you need to be. Come on, tell them. Tell the person behind you if there's nobody next to you, some of you. You're right where you need to be. Some of you are like, Good, I was wondering. Going for the Baptist church, but I made a wrong turn. I showed up here. And... God bless you anyway. Um, the psalmist David wrote this. Psalms 29 verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. The Bible also says this in. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? So, here's what I'm saying to you. When we fail to fulfill 
one of the primary purposes God has created us for, problems will arise. Now Martha, Martha's sister Mary did nothing but sit at Jesus' feet. Martha was bothered by it. Actually, uh, she was a little bit angry about it and even implied that Jesus should be bothered as well. Because if you look at verse 40, some of the verbiage that she used in the original language almost insisted. And I, and I want to kind of, because if you look at it, she told Jesus, tell her to help me. Like, in other words, like, I know you agree with me because hospitality is part of, you know, the, the calling. I know you agree with me. And in fact, the phrase don't care in the Greek is an impersonal verb uh, or rather uh, word. It's, it's a, an object of anxiety. The word don't care. She was anxious and she was turning that anxiousness toward Jesus. And in fact, that anxiousness was interpreted as, you know what I'm saying? Tell her we are in the same, we're on the same page. And so the verbiage that she used in that Greek word, don't care, was at a point where surely you agree with me because this is important. But Jesus shut that down, didn't he? Jesus shut that down because he was trying to relate to her. She's chosen a way and no one's going to take it from her, especially him. She found her place in worship. Now, there's songs, plays, videos, and illustrations that have all put this together. And I'm sure you've seen some of them. And in fact, it was a message that God gave me a long time ago when I was traveling. I, I, I preached this message so many times. And it's about discovering true worship and what that really looks like. Martha assumed that Jesus should be concerned that Mary was not engaged the proper way that a hostess should be. But I promise you this. Mary was hosting Jesus. She was hosting Jesus. See, they didn't just let Jesus into their house. Mary went a step further and, and allowed Jesus into her heart. There's a lot of people that, in, that allow Jesus into their house, but not always into their hearts. What am I talking about? There's a lot of people that talk a good game. Hello? Come on, this is when I step into the living room a little bit and I start making myself at home. There's a lot of people that talk a great talk about Jesus. Right? They can say all the right answers. They can do all the right things that way. But when it comes to knowing Jesus personally, they're more like Martha than they are Mary. See, Mary was about worship where Martha was about workship. The workmanship, so to speak, the creation of the moment. Let me create the moment. Now I understand what it looks like to be able to create a moment. You know, when we come in as a team, it's a bunch of us that come in in the morning, we set the lights and we turn the lights. How many like to appreciate the lights? You like the lights and different things, colors and the motions and all that. Guess what? That's all just stuff. That doesn't elevate your worship, or at least it shouldn't. Your worship comes from the inside saying, God, 
you've been so good to me that I got to stop looking at some of the things in this world that try to promote itself above you. He's worthy of praise and glory. Amen? So look, look at this for a moment. Because I want to parallel this for just a moment. Because in Acts 22, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down or refer to it later. In Acts 22, Paul tells us that he sat at the feet of a wise man, and he was a Pharisee, and his name is Gamaliel. Or Gamaliel. Paul was even talking about how he sat at the feet of this man and he learned from him. So, you can learn from someone and be around them. And Paul showed that. Paul showed that. He said, I I sat at... So that's a picture of discipleship. Can I tell you something? When you sit at the feet of someone and you learn from them... You ever met somebody like that? That they have such a depth that you just... You don't really need to say much. Just hang around them long enough and you hope that stuff rubs off on you. I've been around some men um, when, when I was in college. Whether they were peers of mine that had been in faith longer. See, because I was only safe for like two years before I went to Bible college. How many know you can only get so many Sunday schools in? Before you show up at Bible college and they start talking about exegesis and... Yeah, some of you like, exit Jesus. I don't want Jesus to exit. What are you talking about? Like, we should never exit Jesus anywhere. But that's not the word we're talking about. It's just a, a, a dissection of the word. It's, it's breaking down the word for what it's saying to us, right? And so I only had a couple of years of Bible knowledge before I went to Bible school. I sat in an Old Testament survey going, I don't even know how to pronounce that name. And I'm sitting there completely like, I need help. But then I sat around some friends that knew what they were talking about. And I'm like, wow, I just need to sit here and listen. I have men of faith after I've come to the Lord that I just want to hang around. I don't even want to say much. I just want to listen to them. There's something about sitting at Jesus' feet that Mary got and Martha did not. Mary was about the words of Christ Martha was more concerned about the recipes, the the details and some of the things. Paul said in Acts 22, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. So there's Paul declaring that he sat at the feet of someone he wanted to learn from. So here we are. Sitting at the feet wasn't abnormal, right? It's just learning from someone. Being that disciple. Being in the presence of God. Can I tell you something? I think the American church, the Western church, has forgotten what it means to be in the presence of God and allowing ourselves time around His presence. We want that one shot, boom, microwave, popcorn, hit the button, give me Jesus, blessing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You hit the popcorn button. You throw the bag in there. Make sure it's the right side up. You know, the right way. Close that door. Hit the popcorn button. Real simple like. We have turned our faith this way. Where we think, give me a song and a scripture and my week will be fulfilled. Jesus said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. We need daily bread. And if this Sunday is the only time of the week you spend with God, no wonder you're starving when you come in here. No wonder you're cranky on the way over here. No wonder you snapped at your kids. Come on, somebody. I've been there. You went, get this done, get this done. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Open your Bibles. You've all been there. Don't lie like you have it. Some of you made gestures on the way here that's not holy to someone that cut you off because you're going to be late to church. That's opposite of what you want to do, right? Come on, some of you laughing, some of you like, (laughs) not funny, Pastor. Y'all didn't know, y'all cut me off. I saw you driving here. But in all seriousness, Mary and Martha, two different views. I don't doubt for a moment Martha had a heart for God, the things of God. But she put something above Jesus' feet that made that moment needed to be identified. Amen? So let me tell you these three quick thoughts. And then we're going to enter back into worship in a few moments. Because I need us to understand something. The first thing that happened in this text was simply this. You ready? If you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing that needed to happen was she needed to take time. And that, my friends, is a commodity nowadays, isn't it? Time is a commodity. It is really something that we struggle with. I don't have time to... Some people say, well, Pastor Tony, I just didn't have time to get to church this week. We were renovating. We were doing this. We were doing that. And I get it. I get it. But man, two hours is not really going to make that much of a difference. You can come be a part of what you and then go back and do that. But take time. Take time. And this woman took time to do what she needed to do. In verse 39, very clearly, she, quote, sat at his feet. She could have been helping Martha, absolutely. Siblings are always going to go at it, right? I was doing this, I did it yesterday. I do the clean dishes, now you do the dirty ones. And I did it. Stop, 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 stop. When it comes to Jesus, sitting at his feet is paramount to all those things. If none of these lights work, and none of these things, you know, function the way we wanted to. How many know we could still have church? I would have been like, Kurt, go unplugged, hit the acoustic, and let's just gather around. All right? That doesn't stop. Because worship is so much more than some sort of performance. And we're living in a world that's very performance driven, right? There's nothing wrong with some nice lights. Projector screens and some haze or extra haze. But at the end of the day, is it about him? It should be. When you sing those words, they mean something. Or at least it should. When we come to a place where we sit at his feet, this beautiful picture of discipleship is is enlightening because it's completely instilling the need for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to take time at his feet. Guess what? When you take time with God, it is a sign of mature faith. 
Because if you just want a one-hit wonder, give me, give me a song, give me a verse, and then I'm, I'm out. I got to go to lunch. I got things to do. I only got so many days off. Then what are you doing? Are you really limiting God like that? And so I ask myself this when I sing my songs. Sometimes, you know, whether it's my wife leading or anybody else leading. And sometimes I find myself into the third song just singing it. How many ever caught yourself in that moment? You're like a song in, two songs in, three songs in. And all of a sudden you're like, you know, I've been singing and I haven't really been meaning it. I'll be the first to admit it. I've done that. And you know what I do? I bow and I say, God, forgive me for singing a song that I didn't really back with my heart. So when we talk about worship, don't forget to take time because not everything comes like a popcorn button. Certain things are on the altar. And I struggle with this. Can I, can I be a pastor for a moment? Those of you online listening, can I, can I, can I be transparent with you for a moment? There's times we struggle with Sunday night wanting a special Sunday night service. Because while we have these awesome, you know, number of people on a Sunday morning, few show up for a Sunday night. Or prayer. Can I tell you we've been averaging one to two people on prayer for Wednesday nights? Pastor Tony, my schedule. Listen, I'm going to be a pastor for a moment and I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you that's. That's not going to make what we want to see happen, happen. And that's not to throw a guilt trip on you. That's just to say, let's be aware that we're not going to pass the buck again. We're not going to think somebody else will do it. Right? If we really believe that prayer changes things, why are there only one or two people at prayer on a Wednesday night? And it's three if I show up and I'm in part of the room. So what I'm saying is we have to take time. And that time is not going to happen if we just think it's a one and doneer. See you next Sunday. But taking time around the altar. That's why we're going to take some time here this morning. Second thought is this. People won't understand your worship. Come on. People won't understand your worship. What am I talking about? Verse 40 says, doesn't it seem unfair? Right? So there's Martha saying like, doesn't it seem unfair that she, I'm doing all this work and she's just sitting at your feet? Martha didn't understand Mary. She didn't understand why she's sitting at, at, at the feet. People won't understand your worship. And you know what? Maybe you're quiet. You're the quiet worshiper. Maybe you're the hands lifter. Maybe you're the jumper. I jump sometimes. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I like jumping. I get excited. I'm just, I express that way. And that's me. You don't have to do that. But that's me. Sometimes I may turn around in a circle. I'll jump around a little bit. And sometimes I get on my knees. And the, the posture doesn't matter. People won't understand your worship no matter what you do. Because the jumper will go, why is he jumping? I don't jump. Then the person staying really still or, or jumping does, looks at the other person that's not jumping going, why isn't he jumping? That doesn't, not, that doesn't matter. Where is your heart in all of this that we're doing? That's the big element here, yes? So it's not about posture of the, of the physical body or posture of your heart. Martha opened up her home, made this all possible. Mary sat at his feet, and she was bothered by this. See, people won't understand your worship, so don't wait for anybody else to express it. 
If you wait for somebody to understand your worship, you'll never worship right. You'll never worship right. Jesus then tells Martha, few things are needed, but Mary has chose what is better. These all things are good, but Mary has chosen what's better. When you come to the altar, you say, Pastor Tony, do I have to come to the altar? No, you don't have to. But there's something about coming. And many a times, and those of you that went to Bible school, like myself, my wife, and you guys as well, and anybody that's went to Bible school and had chapels in your school. I remember going to those chapels. There's times I didn't go to the altar, and I still was there. But there are times I went to that altar, knelt down, and said, God, there's nothing in this world I need more than you. It was just a symbol of me giving myself to God. That's why we encourage that altar time. That's why we encourage that, that time around the altar where we, where, we, where, we turn that, where we turn that small bar into something greater. Where we calibrate our hearts and, and in essence become everything God purposed for us to be. And my third point is simply this. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone take it from you. Your worship, your heart, is the thing that only you, look at me now, only you can give it. Your worship, only you can give it. So what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to turn our bar into a calibrate for a Rolex, so to speak. We're going to turn our bar into just absolute purpose and value to God. We're going to turn our praise into something so much more. We're going to turn our praise into something so much better, so much bigger. And I invite you to be a part of that. And let me share this final thought with you before we go any further. Jesus realized that there's something that shouldn't be taken from her. And dare I say every single trial, every single temptation... And every point of pain in your life should never be taken from you. Because those are points of praise in your life. Look at me. 100% of the trials that you've been through. You've been through some trials, haven't you? Raise your hand if you've been through some trials. Lori, I know you've been through some. You've been through some. Sophie? through some trials been through some trials there's purpose in the pain when you worship what you're doing is saying no pain is going to determine my praise for God at least less than I'm going to turn my praise into the process that allows God to get all the glory he deserves amen you were created to worship Stop thinking for a moment that you weren't. This is your moment. So I'm going to invite you right where you are. Just close your eyes all across this room. Think for a moment. What it is that God wants from you. And today be willing to say, God, I take my little bar. Shake me into the molded image of your son, Jesus, so I can be everything I need to be. Friend, you're in the right place.
place. You are right where you need to be. Right here. Father, in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, we bow our hearts to you and we say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. Worthy, worthy, worthy is your name. In the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, we pray.